0: I discovered something when I started making mission trips with Rich Fork that I didn't know about myself really until uh, one of our trips. We were flying and we were in in Lisbon, Portugal on our way to Guinea Bissau. And as we landed there in Lisbon, Portugal, we had a 12 hour layover. And I don't know if you've ever had a layover, but 12 hours in a foreign country is a long time. And we'd never been there before, so we didn't want to leave the airport. We didn't know what, what things were like outside the airport, so we stayed in the airport. And I I remember thinking uh, that, that I'm a long way from home. And I think at that point, I was probably 37, 38 years old, somewhere along that time frame. And I remember finding a bathroom to go into and close the door because I had this moment where I cried a little bit. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? I'm I'm now 45, all right? But then 37, 38, and can I tell you, it it took me a long time to figure out. It took me until the way home to figure out what was wrong on the front end. I was homesick. I'm too old to be homesick, right? I mean, I I like being home, but I was traveling. I was in these places, and I've discovered something on all the trips that that God has just enabled me to go on as vision trips and planning and things like that. I, I enjoy the trip, but the moment the mission is over, I'm ready to go home. I am ready to go home. I'm ready to see my family. I'm ready to sleep in my bed. I'm just ready for my routine and things that I do. And the moment that mission part is over and all that's left is to travel home, I get heavy hearted. I get this burden on my heart. I'm just ready to get home. You, you've experienced a heavy heart. It may not be over something to you as trite as he gets homesick when he travels, all right? But you may be heavy hearted over a, a, a myriad of different reasons. Maybe you are heavy hearted this morning or you've been heavy hearted before because you despise your workplace. And Sunday evenings, there's an anxiety and a stress that starts to form in your body and you feel this heavy heartedness that starts to form and you know it's coming on Monday morning. Some of you, it's the bills. Some of you, it's paying the bills. Now, just by saying that, some of you just checked out for the rest of the sermon because you're going to be thinking about what got paid and what didn't get paid, all right? But you you sit down to do that, or you even get to the point of doing it, and you're thinking, oh man, we got to do this again, and this came in, and this kid got hurt, and we got to take him to this place, and all these things are starting to mound up. Or maybe it's a situation with a child. You you love your kids. They're they're children, maybe they're grown children, they're adults, but they're they're starting to make some choices and you're just broken hearted and you're heavy for them over some things going on in their lives. It could be, I don't know how it can't be, but the tragedies of our world, some desperate dark things that took place in our world this week that for many of us give us this incredible heaviness and this burden um, that lands upon us. And maybe it's from the last two weeks of, of us talking about planting a church. And maybe you've you've developed, not even for West Lexington, but for Davidson County and your, your family, a heaviness of heart for those who don't know Jesus Christ. And, and you find yourself burdened and heavy with those moments. In, in the New Testament, I, I mean, I could name issue after issue that may be yours, but I would miss some. In, in the New Testament, though, there's a moment in the life of Jesus with his disciples where he speaks to that feeling of a troubled heart, that moment filled with anxiety, that moment filled with worry, that moment filled with what's going to happen next. And it takes place in what we term as believers as the Holy Week that starts today. The triumphal entry, Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the Holy City, and it concludes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And and this morning, though, I got to admit to you, I, I decided to preach this sermon when I was preaching my last funeral, That may sound morbid to some of you, but I was preparing. The family had requested this passage of Scripture, and the more I kept reading it, the more I kept focusing on it, the more I thought, this is incredible for us to focus on during this holy week, during this week that so much transpires in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the relationship with the disciples. It's a unique setting that happens in John chapter 14. Here's what's transpired so far. Jesus has been on the scene now for three years. He has stepped into his earthly ministry. Miracles are taking place. He has called a group of people called the Disciples, a 12 group that have have gathered with him. They're the closest knit people with him. And they spend time with him and they travel with him and they see miracles performed and all types of things that they, they see teaching happen. And some people love the teaching and while others hate the teaching. They've seen Jesus confront the religious authorities of the day, toe to toe, Not always calling them good names. Names that were strong and powerful. And they've been with Jesus. And they've been walking with Jesus. It's a radical Jesus that they've been with. And and they're thinking is this now, we're coming into the holy city, the people are there, they're there for Passover, which is a religious celebration that we won't have time to unpack this morning, but it's a 2,000-year-old tradition that they're practicing in the, the story of redemption and the story of freedom. And so they've come into Jerusalem for this time and they found themselves in this upper room where Jesus has done some things that are out of the ordinary. He's, he's washed their feet. He's the leader. He's not supposed to wash their feet, but he washes their feet. And then he takes part in and leads them in the Passover meal. And just this holy moment that they're having with Jesus. And as they're having these moments, I I want you, if you can, as all possible, I know that most of us in this room, when we think of Easter, we think all the way through to the end. We think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples, then when we're reading this morning, they don't know the end of the story. They don't know what's about to happen tomorrow. They don't know about the crucifixion and how it's going to take place. They don't know all that you know. So you have this lens that you come to this passage, and I think it, it kind of tames this passage this morning. Take those off this morning and let this passage grab your heart and your attention this morning. Jesus has been with them, walked with them. The disciples are with them. And Jesus, in chapter, 30, in chapter 13, verse 31, he says this. When, Jesus, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. In verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you, just for a brief time. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, if you will, just pause there for a moment and place yourself as a disciple. You have been called by Jesus. You've seen miracles of Jesus. You've heard his teaching. You've heard him confront the religious leaders, all those things that we said earlier, and you've given your entire life, and for three years you've been walking with him. You've been clinging, you've been putting your hope in him. And here, in the middle of this holy moment, he looks over at the guys and he says, Where I'm going, you can't go. I mean, think about that initial statement there. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35 By this all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, Simon Peter, here he is. Coming here in verse 36, Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, he asked the question that they were probably all thinking, Lord, where are you going? Now, I don't know if he says that with timidity, probably not. Peter just says what comes, comes to his mind. Lord, where are you going? I mean, what are you doing? And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward." Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I go and follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, we're not going to focus on the last part, but verse 33 and 36, Jesus proclaims he is leaving. Then Peter asked, where are you going? And his reply is, where I'm going somewhere and you cannot go with me now. You can't follow me. This had to be a moment, and maybe as I'm reading through this narrative and reading through this moment happened, I've read through it enough the last few weeks that I'm being completely honest with you. In the first service when I read this, my heart kind of palpitated a little extra. And here's why. If you're Peter and you're the disciples and you've been following Jesus for three years, and he says, We're hey guys, I'm leaving where are you going? I can't tell you. Remember, you know Easter. They don't know the rest of the week. And he says, I can't tell you where I'm going. I'm going to come back for you. You can't follow me now. Peter, you really don't have what it takes right now. Trust me, some things are going to take place in your life. Later on, it's going to be awesome. But Peter, guys, I'm out. We as the disciples have been with Jesus and we've watched him and he has confronted the religious leaders of the day. This may mean our death. We are, if you thought we were a small, minimalized group on the outskirts of society with Jesus, imagine us without Jesus. They're going to push us away at best. What's going to happen to us? We don't have anything to go back to. We've given our lives for this Jesus. And now all of a sudden he says, I'm leaving. Talk about an anxious moment, folks. Talk about a moment where your anxiety hits the roof really quickly where you say, oh, my goodness, what, when, where, how, where are you going? And just imagine that they don't even understand that in less than 24 hours, this Jesus... Was going to be executed for the sins of mankind. His body was going to be ripped to shreds. His blood was going to be poured out. And Peter's just thinking, Where are you going? I just got to know. And Jesus, in chapter 14, scripture records, Jesus replies, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, let not your hearts be troubled. And the next part of this verse that comes, believe in God, believe also in me. These are three imperative commands. These are not optional equipment. These are not maybe I should trub- trust in the Lord. Maybe I should not let my, tr- my heart be troubled. But he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Guys, but I'm leaving. In the middle of their greatest moment, in the middle of this religious, spiritual movement, this miracle worker taking place, everything is coming all together right here at the pas- Passover. In six words, let not your hearts be troubled. Guys, you can't even begin to comprehend what you're about to experience. Guys, you can't even begin to imagine what's going to happen to, to me over the next 10, 12 hours. You can't imagine that by tomorrow evening, my body that you're standing here with is going to be placed in a borrowed tomb. You can't fathom that in three days from now, I'm going to be raised from the dead. You you can't fathom what's about to take place, but I'm going to give you a message and I'm going to give you some words that need to ring true in your head and in your heart right here as I'm going out. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Here Jesus is calling the disciples. And I believe to us that putting our trust in the person and the promise of Jesus is enough to comfort our troubled hearts. Putting our trust in the person and the promise of Jesus is enough to comfort our troubled hearts. Worthy is the Lamb. We sing that our hands are raised, but now it gets practical, doesn't it? We can have this imagery of us standing before the throne. Holy is he. And now, though, he's declaring in your daily life, let me just let you know something. You can put your trust in me. You can bring your broken, heavy heart to me through the person and the promise of Jesus. You can believe in me as your Savior. A couple months ago, we were walking through 2 Peter, and I got to a Sunday where I talked about faith and that faith is only as good as the object in which we put our faith. And someone uh, and and I, and I shared that what well, if you were to get on an airplane? You get on an airplane, you look over, uh, and you're flying cross country, and you look down, and the wing is duct taped on and strapped on with with wire and tape. You get off the plane, right? Pretty simple option, pretty simple choice. I kid you not. That Sunday afternoon, one of our church members she texted me, and she said. Hey, Pastor, i got to tell you what happened to my husband. He travels cross-country uh, a lot, and uh, he was getting on a plane to go out west um, this last week, right before you use that sermon illustration, and they got on to the intercom, and they said, we're going to be a few minutes delayed. Uh, we have a small hole in the front of the airplane, and the engineer has agreed that we can put duct tape on the front, and then we're going to take off. I don't think so. Now, after the second service, a guy who works on airplanes came and told me, oh, it's this kind of tape, and it's rated for this and this and this. And I looked at him and said, I don't care. It's tape. It's 40,000 feet in the air. It's tape, man. Put your trust in the person and the promise of Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me two promises, two things there for us to examine. The first one is to believe in the promise of heaven and the return of Jesus. So for, for us this morning, to believe in the promise, heaven and the return of Jesus Christ. He speaks to this in verse two and three. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, I think because of how maybe different cultural things that we brought into this passage, we immediately start thinking of how big your mansion's going to be and and whether Joanna Gaines is going to decorate it for you in heaven, okay? We start thinking of all these different things. Oh, man, my mansion's going to look like this, and this is going to take place. But let me contextualize this for you. In the Jewish custom, when a bride and groom, when there was a new, a new wedding, the groom, the last way that they would signify that the bride and groom are officially married is the groom would go and bring the bride from her parents' home to his home, and they would many times add a new room to the home. And this would now be the groom and his bride. This would be a continuation of the father preparing a place for his extended family. And so this would not have been as obscure of a reference that we may turn this into. He said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If, I, if not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you. The, the, the groom will come and bring his bride, those who have trusted in Christ, to their eternal home. And he's preparing it for us. He's adding on to the Father's house. And those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ... Who've confessed of our sins and trust him, you have a place there. When I travel, I also like to have confirmation numbers. Some of you travel a lot, and you know that sometimes those are relatively important um, to, to have with you. I like to have multiple. Uh, forms of a confirmation number. I like to have it on my phone. I like to have it on my laptop in case I need to open that up and show it to them. And if neither one of those work, I like to have a printout of my confirmation number. Because I, I want to get there and go, hey, I got a confirmation number. And then then go, that's great, but you're still going to stay at the hotel down the road because there's not a room for you here. But I'm glad you got a confirmation number. When we read this, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going and I'm going to confirm a place for you And it's going to happen in a way that you have yet to to see take place. It's going to happen through my death. I'm going to give you eternal life. So guys, what you're about to experience, what you're about to see take place, that you are initially going to say, this is the end. Now we know where he's gone. He's going to death. You will understand in three days later that that death is not the end, that in fact it is going to deliver life. And I will go to prepare a place for you and ascend in heaven for you and I will come back. Let not your heart be troubled. Heaven is promised. Full of worry. We live in a culture full of worry, full of fear, full of anxiousness. And I I don't want to be overly simplistic And and I I don't want to be trite, but as I came to this passage, one of the reasons it it rang true for me is the last few months for our family and extended family have not been easy. It's not as hard as the lady that was in one of our services that I was preaching and I looked out and I I realized she was there today and she's been going through cancer for the last two or three years over and over and over again. And so I want to be careful when we come to this that we understand the weight of, That some of us in this room are carrying is real and it is heavy and it is a burden. Yet I also don't want to discount what Jesus says. Because he says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be heavy, burdensome, weighed down. We are captivated in our culture by anxiety and fear. And again, with great care, I want to say this. We, we have multiple ways that believers and non-believers treat anxiety, worry, fear, fear, trouble-hearted, some of those through medication, some of those through counseling. And I'm not discounting those. There's great, great wisdom and there's great knowledge in some of those that help us with that. But I don't want to make those primary. I want to make those secondary to the promise of Jesus. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in the person. Believe in the promise, but also believe in the person. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. So the conversation continues. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If, I had known, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I told you before that we read books about missionaries in our home, and one of the books that I'm reading was referencing uh, to a missionary who had traveled to the Middle East and to the eastern part of the world, uh, Asia and those areas. And at one point, the missionary was following a guide and the guide and he got to a point, and the path that they were traveling on just ended. And the missionary said to the guide, who was from that country, what path do we take? Where's the right direction? What's the right way? And the guide just continued to walk, but he said, don't worry, I am the way. He said, I'm not, I'm not showing you another path. There, there is no path. I am the way. And Jesus is declaring here, not I'll show you the way or I'll lead you the way. He is the way. This is a necessary act of his death and his resurrection that is the way. He also says, I am the truth. Not one of many religious truths. And this is so culturally difficult for us in this time period. And I wanna say this. We need to handle this passage with great compassion because there are some very moral, some very great people who are following other paths other religious systems. And we need to be careful that when we preach Jesus as the truth, the life, and the way, that we do so with compassion and love for them. That we don't just shake this verse in their face, but we do need to stand upon it. That Jesus says he is the truth. Depend completely in me to be all that I have said I would be in your life to the broken world, to the promise of heaven. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Because all of sin and the payment of sin is death. Then who I am about to become through death is not death, rather it is life. R.C. Sproul said of this passage, if Jesus was wrong in John fourteen six, then Christianity has no validity, validity at all. If he was right, then there is no other way. Thomas Aquinas said it this way, follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth you must believe, the life for which you must hope. I am the unbreakable way, the dependable truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the supreme truth and the true life. Let not your heart be troubled. Again, place yourself, if you at all possible, can do this this morning. And imagine that you're there, you just had this holy moment with Jesus, and he's teaching for the next few chapters in John that correlate with the other Gospels. He's giving them instructions, he's exhorting them, encouraging them. And he says, guys, I gotta leave. And in that moment of confusion... Jesus speaks, do not let your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Would you say that with me? Let not your hearts be troubled. And so this morning, you, you've come in this room and you're carrying your burdens and you're carrying the weights with you and you're carrying some past, and you're carrying some struggles, and they are valid, and they are true, and those things have happened in your life, or you're in the middle of those things weighing down on you. Let not your hearts be troubled. And I'm not declaring this to be simplistic or to be naive, that your difficulties and your anxieties and your fears are extremely real. But I'm simply declaring the truth from Jesus' lips. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples were about to learn what we now know, that the cross that was intended for death and despair would become the symbol of life and hope. In less than four days, they were going to finally grasp Jesus saying, I'm leaving. Yet these men were human, just like you and I. And just the same as I've faced difficulties, you've faced difficulties We see Jesus saying, trust in the person and the promise of Jesus. Trust that there's a promise for eternity and there's a person for you to place your trust in, and that is Jesus Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What do you put your trust in? Do you believe in the person and the promise of God? Worthy is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. Holy, holy is the name. Sing to Him a new song. But do you trust Him with your daily life? Do I trust Him with my heavy heart? My hope is built on nothing less. Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. If you know this, sing it with me. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. What if that hymn writer a couple hundred years ago would have just paused and said, On Christ the solid rock, let not your hearts be troubled. Bless, trust in God, trust also in me. That's essentially what he's comprised in here for us this morning. All other ground is sinking sand. Who and what do you turn to in times of trouble? A substance that will have an ending? A human relationship that at some point, no matter how great it is, it will let you down at some point? A behavior that you resort to in the times of trouble, in the times of difficulty that could cause consequences of sin? Sin? that are greater than you can imagine? Or do you trust in a Savior, a Messiah who says, let not your hearts be troubled?